This is ContraZoom, a live in limbo production. This is ContraZoom, where we go back and forth about film. I'm Dakota Arsenault, and today we are giving a little bit of a recap, analysis, review of the 90th Academy Awards that were just had on Sunday. If you had heard, we did two episodes with predictions of who should win, who will win, uh, and uh, and who is snubbed. Uh, and I was joined by Mahek on those episodes. Today I am joined by Sammy Felchenfeld, who is going to talk about what we liked, what we didn't like, surprise, not surprises. Is it even worth talking about the Oscars anymore? Welcome. Thank you. I'm going to just start off by saying that I lost the Oscar pool. you know i didn't want to shame you but thank you for bringing that up uh and who won dakota uh i did but i also tied okay (laughs) (laughs) uh i got 20 uh and you got 18 16 16 16 how embarrassing oh yeah you should just give up now I won't see a movie again. That'll be the solution. <laughs> the problem is, why I like going up against you is you vote with your heart too much. <laughs> That's a problem? That is a problem, Sam. You need to be cold and calculating. Okay, I tried harder this year, and there were some surprises for me. So, But, I mean, some of those I can't tell. Like, I didn't see any of the documentaries, so mine was a guess. You know, they're, they're definitely, you know... Uh, I. I say I got 20. It's not like that was all purely me being a seer looking into the future. There definitely were still some surprises uh, that I was like, "Eh, I don't know, is it going to go this way, that way? And and I think, you know, there is a good about six to eight where you can just never predict no matter how hard you try. And if you get them right, it's basically a flip of a coin. Also true. Yeah. Uh, so I guess before we kind of talk about the 90th Oscars, which, uh, right off the top, you know, by now the shape of water was the winner. This now closes the decade of, uh, best picture winners of the last 10 years. Uh, I'm going to run them down. I just want to know if you, uh, personally maybe have a favored and a least favored of the bunch. Uh, they are in reverse order, the shape of water, moonlight, spotlight, Birdman, 12 years a slave, Argo, the artist, the King's speech, Hurt Locker, Slumdog Millionaire. So is there any that really maybe stand out or, or maybe don't really deserve to be there? Um, I think the big standout is that this is the first genre film um, in almost 15 years to win. So you you list that out. I'd say Birdman is genre adjacent, but mm-hmm. um, really for science fiction fantasy, a lot of it's missing. I don't think any of them really s- stick out. Um, not to beat a dead horse, but I'm grateful that Moonlight did win last year. Um, but no, I think I th- this is something I think I said uh, when we were watching is that the Oscars are the end of the the previous year of films, and then we never think about most of these films again. Yeah, yeah, that, that's true. Uh, I, I'm quite happy with Moonlight and Spotlight. I, I really like the sort of return to small intimate dramas that it was back-to-back years. Uh, the Shape of Water isn't really a, a sort of small in-scope movie, but I think it is a really great one. 
Uh, I haven't revisited some of these since they won, but ones that maybe are less deserving, I'd probably file under the King's Speech in Slumdog Millionaire. Slumdog Millionaire, I don't think I, I'm overly fond of as a whole. I think there's some several problematic issues with the way with that film is constructed for me. That's that's fair. Um, I think also one of my one of my big things I'll call back to is um, Twelve Years a Slave. Great film, but I think in some ways Gravity Gravity is one of my favorite films ever, and I, I reference it more often than I think I would like. Um, so maybe that plays into why I think Gravity should have won that year. But at the same time, I think that Twelve Years a Slave was deserving. I'll also say that The King's Speech is also up there among my favorite movies, but I don't disagree with you. Yeah, like it's it's definitely a really well acted movie. It's got some really interesting stuff going on with it. But when when you're looking at the list of what should be the greatest American made films ever made, it kind of uh, looks a little um, off up there. Yeah, I I think that's fair. Uh, so yeah, we'll uh, I guess we'll we'll get into more of the actual stuff that happened on Sunday. Um, it was interesting as it was happening. Shape of Water ended up winning four awards out of the thirteen nominations, and, and I kind of thought that was low. And so I was looking, you know, hoping to find some statistics to back up my feelings. And unfortunately, I was I was proved wrong because uh, only 49 of the best picture winners have won five or more awards, which is only 54%. A great number of them, especially in the last decade, have only won three or four awards. So it really isn't that surprising. Last year, Moonlight only won three. It's actually not at all surprising to me either. It's, it's, it's I think, that, that there's a bit more diversification, but especially, I think more especially surprising is that Shape of Water, again, is a genre film, but it didn't sweep technical categories, which, again, the last film to do that was Return of the King. So um, I think when, when films that are more technical in nature uh, do win Best Picture, it's sometimes, I think, of a, a bit of a surprise when they don't get technical, but at the same time, there were some really great and deserving films that won uh, like uh, the sound and visual effects and things like that. Yeah, it was interesting. I think uh, going along the technical side of things, uh, I'll get more into them later, but it was also up against two kind of big powerhouse technical films in Dunkirk and Blade Runner 2049, uh, which if you have to think that if, if those two movies were not released this year, you could easily say that The Shape of Water would have won most of their awards. I think that's, in a way, that's a good thing, though, because I think in the last few years, we're starting to see, we're starting to say if those movies weren't released this year, but what that means is that the ante is being raised higher and higher for certain things. I think for everything each year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I've been a big fan of Best Picture and Best Director not necessarily coinciding. We've seen that happen a little more frequently in the last few years. I wish I looked up the statistics of of how often it's happened. It's still pretty rare, but I like that it's happened more often uh, lately. And, uh, And I look at The Shape of Water, and I think it is definitely maybe one that's more deserving. I think Del Toro is definitely the deserving Best Director winner of that batch. Uh, and, I, and I personally would have voted differently for Picture, but like I don't think it's out of the question of the reason that they went those two together. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And I think that in many ways this was both an appreciation of The Shape of Water itself and an appreciation of Del Toro's career and that, the, that his career has brought him to a point where you could make a film like this. It was pretty interesting that... 
in the group of best directors, Paul Thomas Anderson, who is decidedly un Oscar friendly, was the the veteran of the group. All the other four nominees, it was their first director nomination because uh, you had uh, Del Toro, uh, Nolan. Jordan Peele and Greta Gerwig, it was all their first nomination, which I found pretty surprising. And I think uh, most of all, we're going to see Jordan Peele and Greta Gerwig possibly more than once returning to that category. You know, I, I definitely feel that's a possibility, but I also kind of wonder. Um, the Academy doesn't often acknowledge comedies. Um and so if Gerwig kind of continues the sort of comedy, sort of drama route, I don't know how often that will be Academy friendly. And, and Jordan Peele, I know he's already working on a follow-up, but details are very scarce right now. But if he does another genre film, um, the Academy might not be so interested in giving him a Best Director, Best Picture nomination. I think we'll have to see. <laughs> yeah, like I would love to see them because I think they're both such fresh, interesting uh, voices making movies. I'm, I'm just trying to think of the way Oscar voters traditionally go. Um, and, and it just sort of, I, I just am curious if they're going to continually show love for, you know, romantic comedies, coming of age stories or horror or some sort of genre film. Uh, when it seems so rare that they do, I think it's. I think we're going to see. Um, this is part of. I think changes over the recent year, maybe some changes in the dynamics of voters and and the nominators, like the Academy. But I think we're just going to see more diverse stuff. Period. Um, not necessarily just saying diversity, but also we're going to see horror and like more genre, maybe a bit more inching to comedy. And there's been those times before. I think for some people, it's just a, a privilege to be nominated. Um, so I think, I think that's what we're going to see in the future, but it, it all depends on what the movies are this year. Today I watched the trailer for Christopher Robin and for all I, I know, that'll be the big Oscar winner next year. <laughs> I haven't checked that out yet. Did it seem interesting? Um, it won't be the Oscar winner, but it will definitely be a tearjerker for sure. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, so I said off the top that the shape of water won four awards. Um, it was the big winner on the night. You had Dunkirk with, with three awards and then Blade Runner, Coco, Darkest Hour and three billboards all scooping up two awards. So it was quite, uh, a wide range of films that were winning multiple awards, which I think was kind of interesting to, to see how it was all spread out. Uh, uh, that made up the bulk of the winners because obviously everyone else only won one award. Uh, but I, I'm I'm quite happy with the way the the top earner sort of came out. Yeah, I agree. I think <clears throat> I think that there were a lot of there really weren't a ton of surprises overall. Um, I think for me the biggest surprise, honestly, as silly as it sounds, was original song, um, and that's because I. I voted for This Is Me over Remember Me, both great songs, um, but I really did think that This Is Me would win. At the same time, I understand the, the Academy not wanting to give Pasek and Paul a win again. Um, they're going to be nominated pretty much all the time, just like Disney movies are always nominated in, in original song category. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I think that the original song was probably the hardest one for me to predict because I think all five of the songs have a history of winning 
uh, not necessarily directly the people who wrote it, which there was for some of them, but more so the style of the different songs. We've all seen a Remember Me Win. We've all seen uh, um, This Is Who I Am. That's what it's called, right? This Is Who I Am? This is me. This is me. This is me, yeah. Sorry, I'm blanking on the songs right now. I really should have this sheet in front of me. Uh, this is me, and we've also seen previous winners uh, like Stand Up For Something. So like, you can definitely see the argument for all of them of why they could have won. And, and I, it was definitely the hardest one for me, and it was the one that I picked incorrectly too because I also picked This Is Me. Yeah, I think, and I, but I think overall, like, it's it's a nice spread, and it's an appreciation of the different um, with all the awards. It's an appreciation of the different talent. So I left Dunkirk the, last summer, seeing it, saying this is going to win both of the sound awards, and it did because it's. And I said this on on Oscar night as well. This is the best sound in a movie I've ever heard. Um, and possibly will ever hear for a while. It's hard to say. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, this is a, a, another point that I kind of want to mention. What was Dunkirk was actually only the seventeenth film to win both sound editing and sound mixing, which I found pretty fascinating, because something I usually talk about in my Oscar Primer podcasts, uh, or even when I'm writing about them, is if you're trying to pick a winner it is better to pick the same in both categories, even though it doesn't always happen. As I, I just said, it's only the 17th time it did, but your odds are statistically more likely to be right, at least in one of them, if you pick uh, the front runner for both, as opposed to trying to figure out, oh, was was it maybe Baby Driver, or, or was it Dunkirk, or, or was it The Shape of Water, or Star Wars? Trying to figure out which one it was. Uh, it just statistically makes more sense when you're filling out a ballot yourself to pick both the same. Uh, but I was shocked that it was only the 17th time that that had actually happened. And I think that's a testament to Dunkirk on its own too. But I think also to, to some extent, it's this is something we talked about last year after last year's Oscars, is that I think a lot of people in the Academy could appreciate what was being done in Dunkirk in terms of the sound, sound design, sound editing. So I think that uh, I think that a lot of a lot of people appreciated it, and they just said, "Yeah, it, they go hand in hand in this in this particular case." Mm -hmm. I think it's something that definitely has an advantage in this category is war movies because the sound mixing and sound editing is so crucial for making the movie believable more so than basically any other style of movie that is out there. Um, and, you know, it seems like World War II movies never get tired of, of these technical awards. Yeah, and I think it's like it's just going to be an ongoing. It's going to be an ongoing thing that people are going to be looking for for sure. Mm -hmm. um, so we mentioned also that Del Toro won Best Director, uh, and it just kind of reminded me something a little interesting because he now is the final member of the Three Amigos group to win a Best Director uh, award, which four of the last five have come from either Del Toro, Alfonso Cuarón, or uh, Alejandro uh, Iñárritu. And it just sort of reminded me back of when uh, Martin Scorsese won for The Departed uh, a few years ago, over a decade ago now. He was actually presented the award by Francis Ford Coppola, George Lucas, and Steven Spielberg, sort of the, the vanguard of uh, be the best cinema from the, the 70s and 80s. And it looks like we kind of have like a new sort of vanguard between the three amigos. I wonder if there's going to be uh, a presentation in the near future where, where they're, they're the three presenters of the Best Director Award. 
I, I definitely think so. I think I think that this is uh, I think the next thing we're going to see, and I really hope this is the case, is more women directors because mm-hmm. now it's now it's basically we're getting more uh, more racialized people, people of color as directors, and 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 being able to tell their stories. But I think that that's sort of the next cycle. Um, but I, I'm, I guarantee we're going to see the three of them presenting Best Director at some point, especially if none of them have movies in contention in one year, then that's when they'll do it. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. With the way they uh, that they've been going, it seems like every other year one of them has um, uh, a, a big film coming out, and they're so sort of beloved by uh, by the academy that it seems like that it's not going to change anytime soon so maybe it is we have to wait 20 30 years before they start slowing down and you know you have Coppola making a movie once a decade and Lucas whatever the hell Lucas is doing these days counting his money I guess yeah I mean it we're going to we're going to really see um it's going to there's going to be a bunch of changes in the next few years we've talked about a few of this in our recent in our in our episodes over the last year, really, of uh, the kind of response responding to okay, the R-rated superhero movie and the thoughtful superhero movie, and then this kind of movie and that kind of movie, and I think those are going to make their way into not saying superhero movies, but different kind of movies and different kind of stories are going to make their way into, into the Oscars for sure. Mm-hmm. We we were talking about. I know it's something that people always kind of wonder about female directors, and I guess it's good to point it out. But uh, Gerwig is only the fifth female to ever be nominated, woman to be nominated for the Best Director Award, with only one win coming for Catherine Bigelow directing The Hurt Locker. So it's still very much anomaly. Um, we've had no women of color. We've had very few men of color themselves be nominated for, for Best Director as well. So there still is very much a, a long way to go before there's more diversification in the Best Director race. Yes, but hopefully, hopefully we'll start to be seeing soon, seeing more soon. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was really nice this year to have you know Jordan Peele, Guillermo del Toro, and Greta Gerwig kind of make up a, a very different demographic than what we're used to seeing. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, I thought some you know interesting other storylines of of winners was Netflix won its first full length award for Icarus for for best documentary. It previously won for the White Helmet, which was a documentary short. I believe it was last year, so they're back to back. They still don't really have a, a mainstream win yet. But do you think that tide is maybe turning? Oh yeah, I think we've we've already been seeing it at the at the Emmys and the Golden Globes for a little while. Um, I think that that Netflix and streaming providers are really working their way towards um, getting kind of getting those um, those bigger films. I'll even say it. I find it quite likely that Annihilation will get probably a vi- um, visual effects potentially uh, in the next year, maybe. But that is partially a Netflix film because it is being distributed on Netflix everywhere but North America and China. So not quite the same. It's not really Netflix buying it buying it for distribution or, or um, getting it new for worldwide release. But I think in a few years that's what's going to happen and more and more creators are going to see I can make the film I want on Netflix or on Hulu or on Amazon or whatever um, in the future. Yeah, I still think there's a bit of a divide because last year was Amazon's coming out party because they had Manchester by the Sea, which picked up several awards, but that got a full theatrical release still, whereas Netflix still is very hesitant to allow its movies outside of the uh, limited engagement screenings that they 
legally need to have to be eligible for the awards, they don't want to put Mudbound in theaters, which I think would have been a, a perfect movie to see in theaters and maybe would have uh, given it a little bit more attention and, and chances to win some of their awards and things like that. Uh, well, I agree with that. I think the bigger thing that, that needs to happen is that they shouldn't have to put it in theaters anymore. Um, I think that that we're a far way off from the you need to put it in theaters for a week or two weeks or whatever it is to be to be eligible. But I think that's going to be the shift eventually because movie houses aren't going away. Like cinemas are going to still be around as long as there's always gimmicks and certain movies that want to that make us want to see it on the big screen. But um, I think that over time that's going to be part of the draw as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it's going to be interesting to sort of pay attention over the next few years. I, I know Netflix has really been pumping a lot of money into its awards campaign. You can see it every time you you log into Netflix and you you see how much they're they're doing it. But uh, but it would be curious to see how they're pushing the industry forward, and hopefully it's for the positive and, and makes movies like that more accessible to a wider audience. I should hope so. I think that there's still some pushback in Hollywood, to be honest, mm-hmm. um, about this. But I think that otherwise, um, it's a trend we're going to start seeing. Now, Jordan Peele also made history by being the first black winner for Best Original Screenplay. Previously, four black writers have won for Adapted Screenplay, but I think it's a worthwhile mention uh, because... You know, not to take anything away from the adapted screenplays, but I think there's something a little more mythical about coming up with an idea completely on yourself and doing all the legwork on yourself without having to rely on either a previous book or movie or some sort of character that's already been created. So I I think that's definitely a a real uh, tide changer for him. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I think that, I think that, um, I mean, there was a lot of talk before the Golden Globes about the fact that that Get Out was nominated as a comedy, which Jordan Beale basically said that doesn't make sense, but whatever. <laughs> um, and I think that that's going to be something uh, to watch out for him. I think he's, in his own way, he's an au- auteur, and I think that that's going to he's going to have a very long and fruitful career. But the 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 thing for him too will be he won't be accepting now that he's a Best Director winner. There's going to be lots of uh, studios knocking down his door saying, please direct this, please direct this. And I think he's just going to really go his own way as much as possible. I hope so. Like I I said, he is already working on his follow-up, but details are very scarce about what it's about, what genre is it going to be, and things like that. So I'm, I'm definitely curious. Is he going to take a really large budget? Is he going to stick with the, the small to medium-sized budget to can have more creative freedom, things like that? I think it's very... What he does next, I think, is going to be uh, very telling of sort of where he wants to take his career. Oh, for sure. And I think that, I mean, this happens every time at the Oscars, like whoever wins, people keep a close eye no matter what, excuse me. Um, And I think that that's going to, he's going to be one of the people to watch along with, along with Greta Gerwig, I think along with Dee Rees for Mudbound, I think that there's a few, and then there's of course the the people that do keep coming back as well. Um, I do want to mention Kamel Nanjiani, and I think that he's going to be poking around a bit more, maybe not in the Oscars so much. Um, like what we talked about in terms of comedies, but I think that he's gonna he's gonna turn up a little bit more, especially now that we learned his real name is Chris Pine. <laughs> yes, um, I think, and this goes for both Nanjiani and Peel. Uh, the screenplay 
nominations are easier to get into than some of the other ones. Firstly, because there's 10 of them, so there allows to be a bit more diversity. And I feel that the the branches that nominate that are a little less discriminatory um, on what the genre of the film is like this year alone we had logan also nominated with the big sick and get out which those three movies couldn't be any more dissimilar uh so i think that's definitely something that that bodes well for for people like nanjiani or peel in the future where they might not necessarily be in the conversation for the best movies of the year but they still might be able to get a bit of academy love yeah, I, ab- I do absolutely agree. And I think that, that that is something we've definitely seen seen before. Um, now, I guess talking about the, the ceremony itself, uh, <laughs> what did you think of the song performances? Um, I'm going to say that overall that this was a, a, a fairly ho-hum, I won't say boring, but very by-the-book Oscars. Mm-hmm. It still ran long, despite starting half an hour early. Um, I found that there were... Some segments that seemed out of place. My my benchmark is always Hugh Jackman's year because when he hosted, because there were five musical numbers separate from the five original song numbers. Um, he opened with a musical monologue. There was a later musical piece. There was a celebration of musicals and film. Like there were all these other pieces that were just a, it's just a great way to get people interested in paying attention. Um, I found this year was a little bit more kind of boring, and the 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 gag that Jimmy Kimmel did with the the. Um, the going into that the cinema that was showing um, that was showing Wrinkle in Time, I really enjoyed. And I, I said this at our while we were watching the Oscars together. I said it looks like everyone's more excited about the free food yeah. than they were excited about meeting these celebrities. And I think the joke kind of fell flat. And there's always going to be this push to to replicate um, the Oscar selfie that Ellen did uh, quite a few years ago now. Yeah, absolutely. I think. The joke, he did it last year with, you know, parading people in through the Oscars, and he did again this year, and just sort of, it, it definitely sort of fell flat to me. Uh, you couldn't hear anything that was going on. It seemed very chaotic. Everyone was way more excited about the food, um, and so that bit totally did not work for me. Uh, and overall, I also agree that the ceremony was just kind of okay. I think everyone is very worried about saying and doing the right thing which kind of just led to a lot of blandness overall and the academy award is is definitely the toughest show to host you have a room full of you know somewhat pretentious snobby people that you cannot alienate otherwise it'll just kill the atmosphere and then you've got what a couple hundred million people watching on tv and you can't offend any of their sensibilities it's a hard thing to do and that's why there's so very few of them that actually do a good job at hosting yeah and i'll actually say jimmy kimmel did a good job in in a very inoffensive way his jokes were simple they were mostly clean um, I think that they were they were very well structured. Even the joke uh, about Mark Wahlberg and Michelle Williams, I don't think either of them were there. And I think that's something that they made sure they cleared with producers beforehand and everything. Um, so I think it was just it it was fine. But I think as years go on, I think there's a bit there's a bit too much pageantry in some way. And I think that they if they really want to shake up Oscars, because I'm sure that I'm sure that the viewers the viewer numbers every year they're worried about, they just need to do a different kind of ceremony. And I don't know what that means, obviously. Yeah, I, I agree. And that and that's literally the hardest thing. You know, you, you read comment sections and there's 
a hundred different responses of what people, what they should have done or how they should have done it or who they should have had presenting or what types of jokes they should have made or more numbers, less numbers, more montages, different things like that. And, and so there, there literally is, it is impossible to please everyone for this show, but also so difficult to just nail it right tonally. That I think is the toughest thing. I, I kind of forgot a bit about Hugh Jackman's year. And while I wasn't totally in love with it, there was a lot about that ceremony. I look back fondly. I don't remember the details specifically, but I remember really enjoying that opening number and the tribute to music musicals. Yeah, and I think that's the thing as we look back at certain things with with fond memories. I'll never forget any of the times Whoopi Goldberg has hosted, not for anything she said, just the things she did and what she wore, just because it was so absurd. But I think I think at the end of the day, the Oscars are really like, it's five o'clock in LA. Um, they finish the night at around nine their time, then they have to go to parties for the next four hours. Not necessarily they want to, a lot of the time they have to. Yeah. Um, and so I think it just becomes another thing to do, and it's almost about the statistics in the end than, than the actual event. But I think that there's those years every so often where they do get the right people, um, or even coming back to the musical performances, which I never even responded to your question, that the musical performances are a bit more fun. Like it, when there's when there's a couple of musicals, so Coco and Greatest Showman, they're both, Coco's not really a musical, but both of those performances were very over the top. There were fireworks, there were dancers, and then everyone's was a bit more pared down, um, which isn't a bad thing. But I think when there's a lot more fun stuff in the original songs, it makes it more interesting as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely think that those two numbers you reference specifically were the only ones that kind of held my attention. I love Mystery of Love, and I feel like Suvi and Stevens criminally wasted his backing band that he had to the point where I didn't, you know, if you didn't know who that they were there, that he had St. Vincent behind him or Moses Sumney behind him, you wouldn't have noticed that. All you could hear was uh, Chris Thiles mandolin playing and Suvian singing. That's all you heard. And that was some great mandolin playing, I will say. Um, <laughs> From a connoisseur myself. Um, I, I think it's funny because a lot of people are saying, oh, Sufin's performance was the best part of the night. But it was maybe two and a half minutes long. Um, and it was a little bit understated, not even just the, underusing his band, even himself. I think, like, I, I don't think he's the kind of person who cares that much or think it's 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 a huge deal to be, at the, to be performing at the Oscars. And I'm surprised it wasn't a bit more... Uh, th there wasn't a bit more going on, but I guess I, I can't ask for much when it's such a simple song to begin with. Yeah, I, I, I know. It's so tough to say. Um, I think Remember Me did a good job sort of translating the simplicity of the song by starting out just an acoustic ballad being sung by uh, Gail Garcia Bernal and then opening it up to this really lively, raucous number with fireworks and, you know, 50 backup dancers uh, all dressed in traditional Mexican attire. I think they did it the right way of sort of keeping with the original theme and sort of doing their own take on it. And, and I, I wish, I wish Suvian did something like that too. Yeah. And I think every year I, 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 if I look back to think about the way I have enjoyed or interacted with, uh, with Oscars in my memory, I'm always disappointed by at least one 
best original song performance. Even I remember one year they had an, an orchestra play a five or six minute medley of the original score, and that was great too. Yeah. Um, and I know, I know they pull that sort of thing out for time and people may not want to hear that. So it kind of, I think just each year they really keep, they keep throwing some things at the wall to see what sticks. Like for instance, I really enjoyed that the envelopes very prominently said what category it was <laughs> facing the camera, which I know they did on purpose. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Um, yeah. I, the, like I said, only the two songs really wowed me. I was paying super close attention for mystery of love because I, I wanted it to be so great, but that uh, stand up for something in Mighty River. I I completely tuned out for there. I just was not interested in the performances, and I really do wish that they brought back the original score performances in some way or another. Whether it's a medley or having maybe a couple of the nominees, uh, you know, conduct the three minute theme song to their to their score or something like that. Anything to sort of mix it up a bit. That's, I mean, the producers are obviously listening to our podcast and they're going to get ideas. I just, I think we'll see each year what happens. Cheryl Boone Isaacs, I know you're listening. Um, I guess we can talk about maybe some of the presenters. For me, the real highlight was Tiffany Haddish and Maya Rudolph, uh, who had a great gag about having sore feet from the high heels that they were wearing, kind of mocking the, you know, the pretentiousness of having to dress up. And then you contrast that with the Star Wars, uh, the the trio of them who just absolutely sucked the soul out of the entire auditorium. Yeah, I think a good Oscars is one where I actually don't remember most of the the presenters. I agree with you about Tiffany Addish and Maya Rudolph. I really enjoy any time I see Gal Gadot as our group that watched the Oscars will attest uh, for all of us. Um, but I, I did, uh, to be honest, the most memorable thing, as much as I didn't like Jimmy Kimmel's gag at the movie theater, was the the, the actual celebrities who went because they were having a great time. And that's what sticks in my memory. And some of them were presenters and some of them weren't. Um, but I think and then, of course, there were a lot of I, I love that, that any time it was two women presenting, they were always holding hands or something like that. Um, but yeah, I think like there's nothing every year they always kind of bring out someone really uh, a draw a callback or someone you haven't seen in a while and I think they do that every year and it's nice but it didn't seem to have a lot of um, a lot behind it this year in a way yeah I, I wish there was a bit more emphasis put on uh, Rita Marino and I'm I'm blanking on on who the other uh, throwback presenter was um, I have a list in front of me uh no i don't have it in front of me so obviously i'm blanking on on who it is um do whatever it was rita marino came out in uh for west side story and i thought that was a pretty interesting one but i, I do kind of wish that they made more of a deal about it yeah and i think that there's an extent there's a certain extent to to the way to how much they can um, and they will like, I remember the year, I think this was Hugh Jackman's year actually as well. When Barbara Streisand sang, um, sang over the in memoriam, I think. And then another year they had, uh, Dame Shirley Bassey do Goldfinger. And like, they didn't really explain why those people were doing it, but it would just see, it felt so much more glamorous, um, than some of the things, some of the things that were, and some of the people that were coming out. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Uh, jet ski gag. Yeah. Your name. 
I actually really liked that. I thought that it was clever. I thought that it was a good it was a good joke that could be brought up the whole time. I absolutely loved that that's all we saw of Helen Mirren the whole night was involved with the jet ski. Um, and I'm sure they're going to bring back something like it, but obviously as different as possible. But at least that was unique, and that was a big, like, everyone in my office, half of them didn't watch the Oscars. Everyone knew about the jet ski. <laughs> it's funny. The The very first time he brought up, I'm like, oh, that's hilarious. And then when they showed the jet ski, I was like, oh, that's great. And then he mentioned it, you know, after the first acceptance speech that he was actually timing. I'm like, oh, good. They, they finished out the gag rule of threes. They're done. But then he brought it up, I think, like two more times. I'm just like, oh, all right. This is kind of falling flat. And then at the very end, when they brought out the costume designer, uh, Bridges, I think his name is, on the jet ski in a life jacket holding his Oscar with Helen Mirren on the back of the jet ski, that was a pretty perfect ending. Oh yeah, I think there there was there was definitely like Jimmy Kimmel delivered on that for sure, um, which was which was good. I, I think you're right; it was a bit too much, um, and I think that's it's a fine line between too many gags, not enough gags, or even taking too much away from the the winners in a way too, and just kind of moving on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, speaking of some winners, I think I'm most happy that Roger Deakins won for cinematography for Blade Runner 2049. He'd been nominated for 14 times and finally won. Uh, so that just absolutely made my night. I think I was the most happy about his win over anyone else. Yeah, I was very happy with it as well. I think one of my happiest ones, which wasn't a surprise, was Alison Janney. Um, just being a big fan of her. None of the other acting ones, well, and including Alison Janney, were surprises, and I'm, I'm glad all of them won. I know you were rooting for Timothy Chalamet, but I don't think this will be, this is far from the last time we'll see his name there. Yeah, I, I really hope so as well. I think both both him and last year's nominee, Lucas Hedges, uh, who t- did a great performance in Lady Bird as well, uh, will hopefully kind of be seeing them come back um much like how we've seen Saoirse Ronan, who's now been nominated three times, and she's just in her early 20s now. And, you know, Saoirse, Ronan, Saoirse Ronan's going to be the new Meryl Streep. I'm calling it now. You know what? I was going... I. I actually wrote this out like this, and I'm going to disagree with you because I don't think anyone will come close to Meryl Streep uh, because she has, I think, 20-some-odd nominations. What I think she's more like is Amy Adams, Kate Winslet, or Kate Blanchett, who all have a whole bunch of nominations, especially Amy Adams, who scored all of hers at a fairly young age comparatively to to Winslet and Blanchett. Uh, and I think Ronan is kind of more following in the steps of them. Because I don't think anyone will ever be able to come close to Streep's dominance. She just happens to be the perfect zeitgeist performer who came up at the right time when there, you know, wasn't as many memorable female lead roles available. And she just every other year would get nominated. And I don't think that'll ever happen again with anyone. I will hold you to this in 40 years. We'll come back, yes, in uh, in the five hundredth episode of this show when uh, when Ronan is going on her nineteenth nomination and, and fifth win. Yes, exactly. For some Marvel movie, Marvel Phase twenty twenty two. <laughs> oh, I thought we'd only be on Phase four by then. All right. Phase four is next year, my friend. <laughs> That's very true. Um, all right. Uh, oh, one big thing that I completely forgot to reference. Uh, there is only six mentions of last year's debacle. 
You say only six like it was a small number. <laughs> I think it, it was by the time we got to the third one and I was done with it already. Yeah, yeah. And and really, the sixth one was tenuous at best when it was Del Toro going up on stage for the best picture to rip the envelope out of Warren Beatty's hands to double check that it was right and you know, very aggressively nod his head at the camera that it was correct. So that was my tenuous sixth reference to it. I think it still counts, but the good thing is now the Oscars are done. The joke is officially dead. Will it be, though? Oh, if another show does it, people will boo. No, I... I don't know. I think I think you know they're gonna be beating this dead horse for quite a while. Maybe they might not next year, but they're definitely not done making fun of it at the Oscars. I'm sure we can count on hearing about it at the 100th Oscars in 2028, um, as they likely will do a lot of looking back at previous ceremonies. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Though I'm because they love montages, they'll show the montages of the most interesting or shocking moments to ever happen in Oscar history, and that's going to be the centerpiece of it. Yes, that's true. Along with, like, Jack Palance doing one-armed push-ups when he was, like, 80 years old, and uh, Adrian Brody kissing Halle Berry on the lips, which now, in retrospect, looks very bad. Yes. <laughs> yes, or, it does. Things like that, Roberto Benini crawling over people on, on seats. It looks like you and I will have a job to do to prepare for the next the next Oscars in ten years. <laughs> yeah, we'll come up with our own montage. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I think you know that's a this is a good natural conclusion. Uh, I think it's interesting now that we're we we capped off another decade. I've been doing this uh, best picture recap where I go decade by decade. Where if I ever get to it, I can now finally do the the last ten years because I have a complete decade for it. And this means I need to once again change the name of the podcast. When I started it, I called it from Wings to Birdman, and now. We're at from wings to the shape of water, which definitely has less of a ring to it, but uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a go. Don't worry, in a few years, we're going to be calling it from wings to Wonder Woman 2. <laughs> I, <laughs> I think I will probably keep it the shape of water at least until the hundredth, so that way I can at least have a nice bookend. That's fair. Mm-hmm. You just don't want to name drop Wonder Woman. That's okay. Uh, hey, hey, you know, we did an episode about Wonder Woman and I am quite high on that movie. So don't I know, you give me the BS. Um, although I think we're both sort of in the outlier of our of our two other friends who definitely loved it way more than, than we did and, and we cannot speak ill of the movie. Also true. Warranted or not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I want to thank you so much for for coming on, Sammy. Had a had a blast talking about this with you, and of course, uh, enjoyed watching them with you. We watched it together last year, and hopefully, this becomes a, an annual tradition where we can watch it together, and and I can beat you every year. Um, I'm going to say that that's very likely you'll beat me every year. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, make sure you check out liveandlimbo.com where the show notes are going to be. You can follow the show on Twitter at ContraZoomPod or you can follow me at DGAPA. And uh, thank you so much for, for coming on, Sammy, and thank you so much for listening, everyone.